This is a HeadGum Podcast. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 100% true. Uh, consider the source. Well, I got it. Evan! Well, why don't you want to get in the bathtub? <laughs> Hi, <laughs> man. Yep. You and I. This is so good. Give me Welcome to Good Christian Fun. I'm Kevin. <laughs> Caroline. <laughs> We're here to have Good Christian Fun. That's the infamous uh, Mel Gibson tape. Oh my God. That's what I was that like, is. This is someone's onset tantrum. I don't know whose. It was an offset tantrum. Oh, I want to say, God. help me out. I think it was Joe Estrus. Yeah. Is the person who recorded this audio yeah. in a private home setting in which yeah. Mel Gibson was. Losing it a little bit. Wait, is this the guy that went to like interview Mel and then kind of ended up like kidnapped on his island with him? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> no, like he's like a famous screenwriter. Oh, okay. So, yeah, like, Joe Estrus is. Yeah. Uh, Are you thinking of a different guy? Yeah. I think maybe. Another article Mel Gibson has just like done so many great things. Just so many So people. many great things. It could things. be a greatest hits. But yes, that's where our drop of the Maccabees. Because he was at one point developing a Maccabees movie of some oh sort. Oh, God. Uh, but you know, we're not we're, everyone go make your Maccabees. Yeah. Please. Greta Gerwig said, make your Maccabees. <laughs> Gibson said, Greta Gibson. Is that a character? Good Christian fun is the podcast where we talk about Christian pop culture, the music and the movies and the entertainment made for and made by made about Christians and Christianity. And we're not here to make fun of you. We're not here to make you go to church. We're just here to have some fun. Uh, but probably not today. This isn't that fun. No. This is not as fun as I remembered it being. <laughs> no, yeah, you it's know. Not, I wouldn't say it's a hoot and a half. This is the sort of prison of nostalgia. You have a certain memory, then you return to it. And yeah. it's not as LOL <laughs> as you thought it was. And of course. <laughs> you remember this being an LOL oh, moment in your childhood. Absolutely, my friend. Uh, <laughs> hooting and hollering in the theater with the Moody family. That's their real name. Won't bleep it out. Who got big gulps and huge popcorn of buckets. Moody Bible Institute. That's No, unfortunately, no. Unfortunately, no. We're talking about. The 2004 Academy Award-nominated film, The Passion of the Christ, Ooh. written and directed by Mel Gibson. Are you comfortable with that, Wu, on record? No, you gave it a woo. but I'm not going to redo it. <laughs> unless I'll, that's I'll you, see it in the drop next week. Unless that's you embodying the passion, <laughs> which is Wu. Yeah, like, we're I think passionate. that's about right. Yeah, I mean, about time we came around to this film, and also about time that this podcast actually focused on Christ for once. Finally, for once. Finally. For once. Oh, putting the Christ back in good we Christian are. fun. Exactly, yeah. we're bringing the gospel. We do need to take the Christ out of good Christian fun <laughs> in November so we can put it back in for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we can put the Christ back in good Christmas fun. You've heard her voice already, but let's give 
a more formal introduction. Friends and folks, she is a critic, a journalist, a podcaster herself, and a writer, an author. And you may have heard her on this show before, completing the trilogy. Give it the hell up for Emily, Emily. St. James. Hi. She's flying in. Hi, Emily. <laughs> this is touching down. Hello. <laughs> oh, yeah. How you doing, friend? I'm, I'm good. I've had a different name every time I've done this show. <laughs> well, that's part of the trilogy, right? Oh, the trilogy. You know? It's character development. It yeah. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that you continue to develop. What will I the do. name be next time? Yeah, or do we think we're done? Um, No, because I have some exciting news to drop for all the fans wow. later. An exclusive. Emily the Squeakwool. Yes. <laughs> it's coming. Yes. Uh, you can always rebrand. Like, what, did, can we remember all the Puff Daddy sort of um, yeah. iterations? Yeah, I'm the right person yeah. to ask that question. Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, <laughs> Daddy Pity. I think I'm going to be MLB. MLB St. MLB St. MLB St. Jim. We Barry. like that. Yeah. Jean. Uh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Last time we recorded with you was pre-pandemic. Yep. It's a different time in a yep. different world. Yep. Um, and since then, was it since then that you put out that legendary, to me, piece of comparing Taylor Swift is 21st century's version of Bruce Springsteen. Yes, yes. Okay. Taylor Swift is the millennial Bruce Springsteen. Sure. It's true. There's, a, There's no true. way to deny it anymore. Even though like some people got very mad at me and they like, it was clearly like hadn't read the piece, but mm-hmm. they were just like, no, you're wrong. And I was like, no, I'm right. And that was, that was, you know, I was right. So they just backed off. That's you know? the conversation. Yeah, that was the conversation. And maybe this can be Caroline's end point. Mm. Finally, <laughs> right? You just woke this up. This is the bridge. <laughs> you were startled. <laughs> this is my bridge to Bruce, is what you're saying? Yeah, like it's kind of Taylor, Abithia. but for you, for you, yeah, Bruce Abithia. Uh Yeah, and I probably will die there too. Okay, <laughs> wow. I did. I did a tweet that was like, I want to hear Taylor Swift cover a Bruce Springsteen song, and I want to hear Bruce Springsteen cover a Taylor Swift song. And you texted me, Kevin, and oh, you were like, I have so many thoughts on this, and you never sent them. I know. So, what? Yeah. That's unlike you. It's okay. I was in it's Chicago okay. to not okay. share your thoughts on Bruce. <laughs> I know, especially after harassing the I would have. Yeah, tweeter. I would have called nine one one. Like, you okay? We need a wellness <laughs> check. Did you yeah. make it? No. This no. young man has an unshared take. I mean, my. My my knee jerk is August yes. for Bruce Springsteen. Perfect for from the folklore yes. album, and then as far as Bruce's stuff, I could see growing up. Yeah, I could even see something as esoteric as Janie, don't you lose heart? Yeah, uh, for for Taylor Swift. Isn't this an interesting take? What, you know, how, what do you think of this? Well, this has nothing to do with Bruce, but I think one of my favorite old man covering Taylor Swift renditions is Keith Urban did Lover, and I thought it was Ooh. really pretty, actually. Lover. Lover. Did it sound like that? No. Okay. <laughs> it sounded I, nice. You're mine. Good song. I did, I did file that piece, the one about Taylor and Bruce, and somebody just mm-hmm. tweeted at me, why do you have to make everything about race? And I was like, how is this about race? <laughs> Wait, huh? It's like, this is about two <laughs> extremely white people that white people uh, adore. Yeah. Like, do they think Taylor is black? I don't know. <laughs> like, they just never looked yeah. Was there a line in it about like their audiences are mostly There white? was a line in it yeah. that was like, yeah, and okay. they were just white guy make it. And I was just like, I mean, that's just oh, okay. literally true. Like, it's not like, oh, you know, I'm not, it's not a value judgment. It's just me saying- a lot of white people like these artists, it, which is true. I'm white and I love them both. And yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
And we Kevin don't... T. Porter, there's nothing wrong with being white. <laughs> uh, on the record. No, I'm not saying qu- <laughs> there was it was such a bummer when Springsteen did Obama rallies in 2008 when he was first running. Uh, just period. No, I'm just kidding. No, but because <laughs> he would talk about like, and finally I saw the audience I always imagined I would have, which was just anything that wasn't white. <laughs> because he's just It's he's, also like not his audience, <laughs> you know? Like it's it's Obama's yes. audience yes. too. You well, know? he didn't say they're my audience. He just said, sure, like, fair. for a performance, I looked out and it wasn't the same. Okay, no, Bruce is a good person. And, you know, I'm sorry. No, I'm not I getting didn't defensive. Mean it like You're that. being defensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gracious. That's I funny. Know. Temperature check. Oh, good, goodness, goodness. Um, we're here to complete the trilogy that we started okay. just so long ago. Yeah. First yeah. film, Left Behind, Kirk Cameron version. Second film, Last Temptation of Christ. Great Martin movie. Scorsese version. Great movie. Yeah. We didn't do the, uh, <laughs> I don't know what the other version would be. The Nancy Myers version. <laughs> <laughs> so version. Tem- <laughs> the Nancy Myers version of Last Temptation of Christ, I will say, would be. Is Kitchen Goals well, in that. <laughs> for the for the fantasy Mary. where he like starts the family with Mary and has this life with her. It would just be them around the island, right? Right, like making a croissant. Mm-hmm. Nice. And Al Baldwin staring that. at Jesus's butt as he's. <laughs> That'd be wonderful. Uh, and we're here now to complete it with the last no, not the last, Close. just the passion of the Christ. Not the last, the last passion, good movie. The last good movie the last, ever made. <laughs> the final movie. Yeah. Yes. And and we just want to get into it. So I think without further ado, we're gonna dive in. Ooh. Uh we're gonna dive in. Thank you, Stephen. He got a little shy there. He was, <laughs> yeah, he was, he was like, Are you guys sure? Like, this is so soon. God library. <laughs> The Passion of the Christ. Now, Caroline and I recently, a couple months ago, talked about this movie on Scott Ackerman and Sean Distance podcast, Scott mm-hmm. Hasn't Seen. Mm-hmm. And we had a different kind of conversation on that show. Family, I want to I want to hear about this movie from your perspective, from your lens, as someone who first reviewed it when it came out. Yes. Wow. 18 years ago. So one of my earliest pieces of criticism mm-hmm. is about this movie. It's called, the the headline was called Passionately Disappointed in the Passion of the Christ. Ooh. Come on now. The collegian doesn't fuck around. Huh? <laughs> the South Dakota State University yeah. student-run independent yes. newspaper. Yeah. I So yeah, I, I wrote it at uh, there. And like, I remember this was like such a big, fucking deal. And like, I was in college, so I went and saw it. I was like, "Mm, whatever. Um, And I don't know, you know, at the time I hated it. Mm -hmm. Then I like got to a point where I was like, maybe that's better than I thought it was. And last night I watched it for the first time since 2004 and was like, Slightly better, but no, not really, wow. not really. Uh, no, like I, I remember just like feeling like I had to have a take on it as like a budding critic sure. at my college newspaper. So I went and saw it with my wife. Then she, at that time, she was no, she was my wife. We were married by then because we got married very young because we were both, you know, queer people who were just did not resist anything our parents told us to do. Um, and, Which is a kink unto itself. Yeah, a isn't kink that unto itself. <laughs> Um, so we, you know, we went and saw that she sobbed through all of it. And when we left wow. and she was like, that was fucking terrible. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and she grew up Christian, right? Too, right? She, or- grew, she up- grew up Christian, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, she grew up like Methodist. She was like right in the center of South Dakota conservative Christianism. Um, but you know, we watched it and we're just like, that was okay. And mm-hmm. like so many people yeah. around us were just like, this is the only movie. This is the best movie. I was going to say that would be kind yeah. of inflammatory because Kevin and I talked about at the time that it was like, everyone had to go see it. If you were a Christian, it was like 
almost required. It was evangelical jury duty. It was. Actually. Yeah. And like, you know, uh, I know a lot of people like they bust from their church or from the school or whatever to well, go they see They do what? It. They bust there. They took a bus. <laughs> oh, oh, I thought you'd say they bust. <laughs> when they saw that of movie, they would. bust. With a horny summer sign over your head. Oh, yeah. They bust it on the that. way over. <laughs> but anyway, so it was like, yeah, it was really a big deal. And also, yeah, it wasn't something that you could really criticize because for some reason it had like transcended into biblical infallibility yeah. for yeah. some reason. Yeah. So I understand why people would be angry at this you. This is the only um, Wikipedia page I can think of that has a subheading called Controversy Over Papal Endorsements. Truly. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, because like Mel Gibson was like, well, the Pope says this movie's good. And the Vatican on Christmas Eve issued a statement that was like, the Pope is not actually weighed in on this movie. <gasps> oh, wait. Wow. So Christmas Mel just made Eve. that up? It would, there were some people who were in the screening who were like with the Vatican who were like, yeah, the Pope loved this. But the Pope oh. never actually said. He, yeah. he was just shaking his wrist and it yeah. kind of looked like a thumbs up at one point. <laughs> like, like, hang loose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, That's I, crazy. Oh my God. I was so scared of people like hating me for not liking this movie that like my review is just like, it just like, there's just like a whole couple paragraphs of me being like, by the way, I'm a Christian. I've been to church. I know who Jesus is. I've met him before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't have an agenda yeah. here with that. It, it is kind of, cause the closest thing we've had in recent cultural history, I would say to what it was for the Christian, it was like the way black Panther became the mm -hmm. phenomenon of like, this is important and meaningful for this culture. And there were like buses of, of people going to that movie and, and filling up movie theaters, literally from churches oftentimes. That's what that was in yeah. 2004 right. with Passion of the Christ. For, an, for an equally Panther's good, good movie. Yeah, yeah Black Panther's good. <laughs> um, Although little did we know that uh, maybe Jim Caviezel and young, uh, what's her name, Letitia Wright, might have more in common than you think. Two of, two of kind in some ways. <gasps> Unfortunately. I mean, I just remember that that year, 2004, this movie came out and Fahrenheit 9-11 came out. And Fahrenheit 9-11... If you try and watch that now, much worse movie, much stranger movie what to was watch. What's that about? It's a it Michael was, Moore yeah, documentary. It was just Michael Moore being like, George W. Bush sucks, right? And you were like, yeah, oh. he does. It's 2004 and he sucks. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they and they. and I was looking up awards that um, Passion of the Christ won. And like every time it won something, Fahrenheit 9-11 would win at the same time. They'd become like, oh, our divided yeah. country is represented by these two mediocre movies. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are we, are we saying... That basically for 2004, it the Moonlight La La Land dichotomy was Passion of the Christ and Fahrenheit 9 11. Except like neither of them got nominated for Best Picture. It was just <laughs> like they just kept popping up at like Critics Awards and like the National Board of Review gave them a Freedom of Expression Award. Like, <laughs> true, okay. freely like, expressed. These movies were made and nobody stopped them from being made. <laughs> Incredible so there. effort by yeah. the team. Congratulations. Yeah. Good job for all. Oh my gosh. Yes. So my memory of it was, like I said, going with my family and seeing it with another family that lived down the street from us. And we went to church together and all five members of my family and then their family went to the Deerbrook Mall in Humble, Texas, uh, in, yeah, 2004. And it was like a, it was like a solemn sort of thing. I don't remember any takes that my parents had other than like, you know, it was like, <laughs> ouch, <laughs> that's gotta <laughs> that's hurt. <good. laughs> 
that was pretty much it uh, for them. But there wasn't like a, we didn't have like a discussion after anything right. like that. Did you? Like, what was your yeah, memory we, of Yeah, I that? went with just my, my like nuclear family and uh, it was, it was like we were going to a funeral. It was like very serious, very intense that we showed up. And Doing like the gentle minions memes, like dressed <laughs> up in suits. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. I'm pretty sure I put on like my little skirt suit or whatever <laughs> to go watch Christ die. And uh, I, I remember being warned about like, yeah, not getting concessions because it was so brutal. But also I was like, that's just disrespectful. You know, like unless it's communion I'm eating, like I'm not eating in this movie. You know, like this is. They should have had big buckets of communion wafers. You could just like eat. <laughs> now, see, if it came Passing out now. It back and forth down If the it aisle. did come out now in the same way that AMC <laughs> theaters does have timed margaritas or cocktails to like, oh, it's the Maverick Negroni or whatever oh it's my called, God. you know? just like a communion, like red wine and <laughs> yeah, a tiny cup. something, something like that. that. So imagine funny. the Alamo Drafthouse secret menu for this. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, it would have to be under the radar. For the Passion of the Christ a rowdy bird, screening. Yeah, <laughs> the Pope would come out and like make a decree to condemn it. <laughs> that, <laughs> would be that would bothered. be so cool. But yeah, it was really intense. I was uh, really like broken up by this movie at the time. And I was just like devastated. And, you know, we'd always heard like these very visceral sermons about like, Jesus was just exploding with blood and like pus and whatever, you know, on the cross. Like, you didn't even know about that. And so, but still just seeing it, you know, represented in that way and Mel, you know, spared no expense with the blood department. Yeah. Um, that it was like, it was horrifying. Like I I was I was like fucked up after I watched that movie and I remember I was just like crying the rest of the time. And then I also thought like I never want to see that again. And now you've watched it like four more times. Did I know. Yeah, and even yeah, four more times. And also like, but then on the second viewing, I was like, this is this is hacky. Yeah, it's like it's too much. It's like obviously too much. And like only a little kid would be like sad about this, you know. There's that moment at a in a in every young person's life where they cross a threshold of age. At which point, maybe when they were younger, when sex and violence in movies was kind of exciting and really fun to watch because it felt so novel, felt so foreign. And then you reach maybe 32, perhaps, and you're like, too much. <laughs> this <laughs> is like, too far. Yeah, yeah my pearls suddenly like appear yeah. on my neck. <laughs> Time to clutch. <laughs> and, and I definitely felt that watching this movie where like violence – because it did get compared to uh, Saving Private Ryan um, at the time, but obviously, like, (laughs) a very different emotional experience than something like that. Uh, I watch a lot of horror. I mm-hmm. love, it's my favorite genre. I watched, recently watched the movie Resurrection, which is not a sh- movie for not this the show, despite, despite the name. <laughs> um, but it's fantastic. But the ending of it is so gory. It's one of the most fucked up things I've ever seen. Um, and like that did not bother me like this did. And this is not as bloody, but it's very much like, there's a cheapness to it. Yeah, that what just, is that? Like, why does it bother? You know? There's a couple sections of this movie that I think are tremendously powerful cinematically. And then there's a couple sections that are just like, you know, Mel Gibson's just lay, ladling it on. He's like, the only way he can think of to relate to his faith is like in an endurance test. And it's yeah. so weird. It's like he's running a triathlon, but like for Jesus. It's a very... Mm-hmm. Uh, Het mask understanding yes. of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the sense of, um, and something I think we could tie to a lot of things about the evangelical messaging and Jesus and John Wayne of it all. Of yeah, the crucifixion was like really brutal, 
Mm-hmm. And basically that is a movie. <laughs> like it was really, really br- it was really hard for him to do. Yeah. And just someone telling you it was hard over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And then an occasional scene of like, what's that? It's a tall table. It's never gonna work. Or <laughs> yeah, whatever. The joke is yeah. like, what? <laughs> so things like that. And and I it was mired, I remember, in so much controversy mm-hmm. when it came out from like nine different angles. Yeah. Obviously. Mel Gibson's own anti-Semitism, yeah. his father's Holocaust denialism. The, what? Mel Gibson's dad? Missed that one. He he has gone fervently on record saying Holocaust isn't real over and over and over Good again. Good God. Wait, is he famous? Like, why is he even like on the record all the time? I keep interviewing him. (laughs) Emily, you need to stop seeing if he'll change and grow. He won't. (laughs) Stop platforming that man. (laughs) Unfortunately. So, and then, yeah, the papacy fraud of like, was it endorsed or not? Oh, crazy. One of the facts I found so funny too is that um, because up to maybe Deadpool, was it? This was the highest grossing R-rated movie ever made. This was the number one. This had the crown. And this was weirdly an instructional thing for the market to be like, yeah, you can rate it R. You just have to target the right audience and they'll come out and see it. R for right. R for right. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. R R for returns and revenue. Uh, (laughs) And at one point they did recut it to be PG-13. Really? And put it back in theaters. Yes. I, I forget what the name... Of the cut was oh in two thousand movie like two minutes long after that the passion recut uh, released in March eleven two thousand five five minutes of the most explicit violence deleted Gibson explained the reasoning for the version after the initial run I received numerous letters from people all around the country sure you did and many told me they wanted to share the experience with loved ones but were concerned of the harsher images of the movie that they'd be too intense for them to bear and live this I decided to re-edit it so it was PG thirteen and it grossed half a million dollars as opposed to the $600 million oh that the R-rated one did. Wow. Which Passion was, of the Christ for kids. <laughs> which the VeggieTales was, did. It's clearly <laughs> just like wringing the rag a little yeah, bit. More cash. It's like when, you know, we put in five minutes of, of extra scenes, but you know, the opposite. Totally. And usually that would work. Like, that's why studios want filmmakers to make PG-13 movies so <laughs> more people can see it, that there's not any age restrictions on it. And it had the exact... Opposite effect. I saw two on people it. on like film Twitter the other day discussing whether Passion of the Christ or American Sniper of like R-rated right-wing appealing films had the more surprising box office run. And somebody was like, it has to be American Sniper because Passion of the Christ is based on pre-existing IP. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, it's true. True, true, true. true, true. But it's I'd like to think know. that they're part of the same cinematic universe and that they both feature creepy little babies. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. One, a lifeless doll in American... Do you know this about American Sniper? No. Wait, maybe. Yes. So in, in American Sniper, Bradley Cooper's character famously holds his son mm-hmm. or daughter or whatever it is. And it's very clearly a doll. Oh, yeah. I can doll. remember this. We're like, uh, what? And you can <laughs> see it's just a doll. Like they, you know, have sound effects in it. But Clint was like, we got it. Don't worry about <laughs> like, it. it. He only ever does two takes. So he's just, <laughs> just like, yeah, we're done. Baby's got to go back to school. With that one. And then this movie features a uh, strange little child all unto itself. And maybe this is a good on-ramp for us to talk about some of the more in addition to the crucifixion and the really violent imagery of the movie, some of the more disturbing imagery of the demonic nature, especially as it pertains to Judas, 
being tormented and Satan himself, herself, themselves, a little androgynous presenting in the movie, you know, uh, in some ways. One thing that has made me uh, effective as a critic is I have a really good like photo recall of like shots in films and TV. And I was, before I sat down to watch this, I was like, do I remember any shots from this? And I didn't except I remembered the end like the last shot was Jesus looking really fucking pissed off. And like- They're going to say buff. <laughs> <laughs> looking buff, looking yeah. pissed off. Like he has his like, and then the last shot is like the hole in, in his hand. But like, mm-hmm. I had forgotten how weird this movie is. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's like the mirror universe, It's a Wonderful Life. Any All anybody Let's ever remembers is the last half hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the first hour and a half is like, well, here's Judas being chased by demon zombie children. Here's, you know, footage of like like Peter denying Christ three times, but it's really over the top. Like it's all just like the color grading reminded me of Zack Snyder's 300. Like I genuinely wonder if like 300 got visual inspiration from this. I think almost... I mean, the timing would work out almost absolutely just because of the one of the big hallmarks of 300 and all of Snyder's stuff was so much slow motion and speed ramping in it, of which there's so much in this movie. Every other shot feels like slow motion. It's a beautifully shot movie. It's gorgeous. It's very well photographed. The music is good. There's technical elements that are, you know, proficient, I suppose. The performances are all solid, you know? Like, they're just there to get the shit kicked out of yeah. them. But, like, yeah. I mean, yeah, Caviezel, who, of course, has kind of made it. You know how <laughs> it, it's almost like when uh, a, a certain kind of actor gloms onto a property or a franchise that has con appeal? So if, it, if you're in a Marvel movie or Star Trek or even on something like Lost, and then, oh, I can go to all the Lost conventions right. and charge for autographs and all this stuff. It feels like Kavita did that, <laughs> but for this movie. He's still on the church tour all these years and later. Basic, yes, and basically became an evangelist of a certain kind from this that is then now um, escalated into a different kind of evangelism. He like he was on Person of Interest, which is a show I really loved. And he was very good on that. And I was like, listen, this guy's politics are clearly not my politics, but you know, it was fine on his TV show, whatever. And then like that show ended and he just was like, I'm going to double down. I'm going to double down on this. And maybe someday Gibson will make Passion 2, which he keeps threatening to do. And I hope he does because it's going to be just about Jesus going to hell and kicking ass. And like, I want to see that. Like <laughs> literally in reviews. I would love to see that. I think that would be so fun. And the fact that Jim will be what? 20 years older than like the 60. original Jesus. Yeah. And they'll be like, yeah, in hell you get ugly and old and disgusting. That's, <laughs> That's what sin that does to a man's body. It turns you 60 years old. <laughs> he took all the sins of the world on his body and it added 20 years. <laughs> Isn't that gross? It is. Yeah. Yes, it is wild. Uh, so there is, I, I did find a little clip, which, you know, there's so many stories about this movie. I feel like this happens with any movie with any supernatural elements. Like there's stories, there's apocryphal stories about the exorcist where, oh, and then someone was possessed or we started hearing stuff on set or like whatever movie is playing with the supernatural or the spiritual realm. And Caviezel has like a tight 15 (laughs) about like weird stuff that happened on the set. That sort of kind of confirmed his... And to be clear, he was probably already a troubled man in some ways, ideologically and maybe even mentally. I'm sure 
going through the experience of Mel Gibson directing you and you being wet with blood and crucified for like 60 shooting days or and whatever. Being Jesus, like let alone, you know, just the pressure of that role. Yeah. 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 Understanding the assignment in that way. Exactly. I'm sure it does a number on you. Yeah. Did you ever participate in theater? Were you a theater oh, kid? Oh, God, yes. Okay. I was, um, I was very into theater. Uh, I was in theater all through college. Like I scholarship a lot of my way through college on theater, mm-hmm. believe it or not. And like, I was very awkward on stage because I was not really in my body because I was trans. Um, but, uh, I got, then I fell very quickly into directing. And mm. so they would be like, yeah, do th-. And like, I got very into like, that's one of the ways I sort of backed my way into criticism was talking about the direction of films like this. And I just was like, yeah, there's, there's, um, there's a quality to this that is very much, have you seen those church plays that like are quoting like Avengers or like, you know, where the, Oh yeah, baby. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you've done like an episode or something about them. (laughs) There's a quality to this. That's very similar to that. It's better. Like Jim Caviezel is a better actor than any of those people, but there is a very stage like quality to everything about this movie. And that's true of all biblical epics, all biblical epics sort of play in that, that vernacular of, we are stage actors playing on screen. Like I saw Ten Commandments over Easter at, at the theater here in LA. And it's so hammy. And it's yeah, so Yeah, they go kind the of Shakespeare. I yeah. guess because the text is so old too. Yeah. And like you mm-hmm. feel like you have to line up with the dialogue or something. <laughs> yeah. Like one reason I love Last Temptation is it doesn't do that. Like Defoe's just like very. He's like, sup. Know, yeah. <laughs> Harvey Keitel's like, oh, I'm Judas. And like, yo, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm denying over here. <laughs> but yeah, it, it just, uh, this movie movie is very much in that old biblical epic tradition. And I think that's part of why it was such a success. Like, obviously it was mostly a success because of this culture. Oh, Dexter. No, you know, he, he sensed a demon. I think he saw a squirrel. He's casting him out. Yeah. Dexter. Sweet guy. We don't need to do that. Come here. Good prayers. Good prayers. (laughs) Time to meditate. I mean, this movie became a phenomenon because of all the stuff around Mm -hmm. it. But there's certainly an element to it that is like replicating those 50s biblical movies that were such huge hits. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a big, also a big element of why it succeeded. It was playing in a genre Hollywood had not played in in a long time. And then Hollywood was like, we're going to make some more of these. And nobody wanted them. I was going to say, what happened with Noah? (laughs) In this way, it is like La La Land. This old traditional genre revived. back to La La. This is the La La Land of the Gibson filmography. (laughs) It's so funny. Uh, In that way. Because, yeah, one of the things I'm really struck by, too, about the movie is how... Lacking in empathy, it seems to be. What's the, There's the Roger Ebert quote of like, movies are just empathy machines, right? Like they're set up so you can walk in another person's shoes for a little bit, understand the world through their eyes, blah, blah, blah. And this is so without emotional context, save for a few flashbacks of he made a table and then he told everyone to be nice, like Ellen. Um, and, then, and then just brutality. So in that way, it almost exists... For something that is supposed to be uh, playing upon people's emotions in the way that like traditional evangelism does of like, don't you want to confess your sin? You know, the, the evangelism greatest hits of appeal is to appeal to people emotionally. This is more just like, it's almost like watching stuff blow up at like the Waterworld show at Universal Studios because there's no 
emotional context at all or entry point. There's no reason that you're like, eh, Jesus seems like right. kind of nice. Unless you are like us and like an existing Christian going in and you already have guilt about Jesus dying for you. You already like have good vibes about Jesus, you good know? Vibes. And so to see him hurt so badly, it hits. But, and I think we talked about this a little bit with Scott of like, if you weren't like into Christianity or read the Bible, I don't know why you would care about this man so much. I mean, it's not good that he's getting uh, murdered and everything, but mm -hmm. like, there isn't there there isn't an element of what Jesus was really about, which was about kindness and care for the lowest of society, and more like just kind of revolutionary like societal change that is obviously not important to Mel Gibson. So I think that's why I didn't make it to the movie. But it just it's such a shame too, and it makes me upset all the more that like this was such a hit, and this was probably a lot of people's impression of Christ's life rather than the life of, like, love that he was attempting for yeah, to portray. Yeah, the, the impression of Christ's life was like, oh, the guy that fell down 900 times <laughs> in the span of two yeah. hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly, slowly. There's this thing that happens in American evangelical culture in the 90s that's really expressed here where it stops being about, it stops being about anything but endurance. Like, there's mm, this thing like a that, war. Yeah, there's this thing that happens in the church that's like, can you stand up it basically turns religion into like a challenge on survivor yeah. where you're like, can you stand on this pillar right. for, for, you know, totally. three hours? Will like, you go to another country and, mm -hmm. you know, witness to them at great personal embarrassment or yeah. financial loss? You know? Yeah. And so like a movie like this is very much pitched at, I am going to make you see this man endured way more than you can possibly endure. Mm -hmm. It is not intended to draw more people in. It is intended to keep everyone who's on the boat on the boat by being like, listen, if you leave, you're disappointing this guy and look what this guy went through. Look mm -hmm. at him. Totally, totally. No, I think that's a great read on it. Yeah, and that way it's not invitational. It is just, you're with us or you're against us. Right? Like it's, yeah. it's way more aggressive. There's a certain point where the Protestant church starts losing people left and right, you know, in the, in the late 20th century and the evangelical church is growing. And now the evangelical church is losing people. And it's just like, that is when they stop caring as much about getting outside people to come in, though they say they do and are just much more like, we are going to build a border around this place that keeps everybody hemmed in. And we're just going to do whatever we can to defend it. And the foremost thing is Mel Gibson is standing on top of that wall and he's shooting down at you as you try to run out. Mm -hmm. And you're like, Mel, Mel, get away. And screaming about the Maccabees. <laughs> hooray! Hooray! <laughs> I want to talk more about this movie, but first we need to take a quick break. So let's do that. And we'll be right back with more Good Christian Fun. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little 
uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. HeadGum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HeadGum at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back to Good Christian Fun. Now I do have a clip pulled up of Caviezel talking about his experience on this movie. He's so cute. From a few years back. I, this is me. this, you know. He's very, he, yeah. He's so cool. leaders are hot so across the board. Yeah, really. The Nexium guy. Truly. I've seen babe. the movie Frequency. <laughs> he's just, wow. Yes. Yes. Now, Frequency is where he got my heart. feels like a Christian movie. This is the movie in which Dennis Quaid mm-hmm. and Jim Caviezel talk to each other through a ham radio, or, uh, or what is it? QB. It's, it's, it's like radio. a ham. I think it's a ham radio. Okay. Yeah. It's actually a really good, nice little time travel movie. I like it. Yeah. And it like, is. yeah, like, but it is just about dads using outdated technology, which is like, feels like a Christian thing, even though it's not explicitly <laughs> you know, that. I, I'm associating with Christianity because this is just coming to me. We watched on the mission trip bus on video. Oh, yeah. It was one of the approved movies that Wait, was. Wait, that's Dennis okay. Quaid, right? That is Quaid. Yeah. So it's well, the crossover. Listen. Listen. <laughs> he ended up fully loving God, you know, but in his later years. Do he, so. Does he have a podcast now? I think he does. It's Has like, he been on this show? Uh, Quaid on the waves. <laughs> Quaid. You should go on his show. Breaking I Quaid's. should go on his show. <laughs> we should <laughs> yeah. all go on his show together. I would love to. Dennis, have a song. He's got to have a podcast of some sort. Okay, I want to I want to play this clip. It's about how he almost he almost died shooting the passion. It's oh my God. it's too long, but you'll just get a sense of it, and um, and just kind of his his evangelical fervency in in talking about his experience on this movie. Knew that for only the people that would be able to see Jesus is through the prayer, mm-hmm. the daily prayer and the fasting. And the fasting was immediate because of the sickness. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the movie, when I was on the cross. Um, my body's blue. There was no makeup. My body was actually blue. Wow. They, between takes, as I'm here, um, they would put, uh, they would take me down, and my, every time my shoulder was locked in, there was a thousand foot cliff, and it would hit the cross and would snap my shoulder out of joint. And I was, in, what? I, I was just beyond. And at that point. I was so sick that it would be ripped out, and I, 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 I honestly, I could barely feel it anyway. I was so gone, but something was wrong with my heart. And the man put a stethoscope on my heart, and he said, Mel, he can die. And at that point, you know, Mel, the, some of the greatest things... And then the president walked by. Oh, yeah. and said, <laughs> he said, I he love was a gambling you. man. And he said, Jim, 
what do you think? And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going between me and God. This is between me and God. Because I never <laughs> thought I was good enough. A clap. Well, we had clap line on, I was never good enough. I like, yeah. how, I like how he says, Mel, moment, he can die. Like, not, he could die. Yeah, he can he die. He can die. He's capable of dying. <laughs> no problem. But I knew if I died making this movie, I knew that people would, be, so many people would be safe. Yeah. At the end of the movie, I, I was it. walking up the, the, the mountainside. It's like As a messiah up, complex. Halfway, well. Everybody's in, um, everybody's in lo location. Mm -hmm. uh, about 250 people. About halfway up, <laughs> I felt this presence come over me. An evil presence. And oh. it was, you're a dead man. There's diarrhea. That's hot. Thinking, <laughs> this is, this is kind of hot. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it is. I know. This is the best news I've ever had because I know if I die, I'm going to heaven. Oh. I got oh to the God. top. Um, the guy you're interviewing him looks like evangelical Pat Oswalt. So low. <laughs> I think he looks a little <laughs> bit like Gail Bedecker from The Breaking sound Bad. of a howitzer. It was so powerful that you could feel the earth move. Yeah. And I saw uh, two people that were about as close as these two are to me, and their eyes were looking up, and they were watering like they were going to cry. And they were dead. And I hear... <laughs> they I could die. Feel they it. could die. And I heard a huge gasp in the audience because they saw something Audience. and I couldn't hear anything. That's your like co-workers, Jim. This was actually a multi-camera sitcom. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Build it for well, they shot yeah, it that way first and then reshot it. <laughs> they had to figure out how what material worked, what was funny, where the laugh lines were. And Sorry, Jim. Light came right down from heaven and lit me up. Oh, there you go. What people witnessed was an illumination around my body and a fire on the right and left side of my head. And for one moment, I was looking at myself outside my body. You got struck with lightning. I was struck by lightning. Yeah. He's and like, just cut to the chase. <laughs> <laughs> you were struck by lightning. Asked me this yesterday. Was it true? There were a lot of people that were very indifferent about doing, you know, being extras in the movie. I said, yes. Tremendous amount. Okay, fact, and then he talks about the different oh, factions of extras. I'm sure he talked extras. to every extra. I'm sure he was in there I, among the people yeah, he, every day. He, he went on to say... Uh, the adrenochroming of children. The, oh. I mean, look, we're where we're at right now. Uh, hopefully, we need your prayers. And there we go. Uh, gosh, adrenochroming <laughs> of children. Order. You know, gracious. On my way out, the early, this afternoon, I said to my wife, "I think it's time for me to have my uh, single dating a single dad arc." Um, and just seeing Jim Caviezel's maybe be, I don't know if he's a single dad, but he's got big, like single dad he, ooh, energy. Yeah. Yeah. Like playing with the kid at the park. Yeah. Exactly. I can't, I can't imagine his personal life is, is unstable at all. I, <laughs> I just like want to like, I think there's get, room. I want to get really into this guy. And then I like date six. He's like, so uh, I was struck by lightning and everyone applauded because they saw Jesus working through me. <laughs> I'd be like, tell me more. Like, uh, I'm kind of Indian. Why don't we just go straight to the hotel and uh, <laughs> we'll finish this up another you know, time. I didn't know this about him. He, he starred in a movie in 2018 called Sound of Freedom. Um, or is it yet to come out? Oh, it's yet to come out. The, Sounds great. Do you know about this? I don't know. This is all relevant. The film's original release date was back in 2019, but after many delays, it's they said it would be released in September 2022. Oh, so it's been delayed soon. for four years, and maybe part of the reason is it's a it's a biopic. It's a bio a biographical action drama film where he plays Tim Ballard, an anti-human trafficking activist and founder oh, of the Operation Underground Railroad. So. 
all of the, a lot of the human child sex trafficking, conspiracy theories and whatnot do come from I bet Jim that. has so many stories to share about how many children he saved sort of by a- accident on set. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dying at him just talking over and over about like these huge spiritual moments, knowing that there's like 16 people just staring at him, like sweat pouring, you know, and like masking tape in their hand. <laughs> and he's like, and everybody was just freaking filled with the spirit. Cut you to know? extras at Crafty eating yeah, carrots and so it's like and holding up a water bottle with a straw in it to him. You know, it's like actors are, they're just really out there doing that, <laughs> thinking they're, they're this big. The thing about him is he's like actually a really good performer. Like he's yeah. a very compelling actor. Like he could have... He could have been, I think, like red state Johnny Depp, like in just terms of like he a has that kind of energy. Phrase. Yeah, a I mean, is Johnny phrase. Depp? I mean, Johnny Depp is. Where is yeah, he now? Yeah, you know, on the spectrum, I'm not even fall? sure. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but the no. point is made. Yeah, like there's a version of him that like plays like a Captain Jack Sparrow who's just like you know yeah. works at like an like a mega church and it's like a movie about <gasps> like like even evangelists oh. like trying to like save. being kind of badass and this. just like yeah. taking on the government. Don't give this away for free on Dude, this dumb yeah. podcast. Stop right there. Jim Caviezel, he kind of like fell off after this Passion of the Christ movie, right? Like I didn't hear of him really being in anything splashy. I think the narrative is he paid a price for saying, uh, you know. He did do an extremely <laughs> successful TV show is the oh, thing. Okay. Like, yeah. Like Person of Interest was a big hit for a while, ran five seasons. 103 like, episodes. So Why he's did got, he go back to TV after this, you know, world-shaking movie? Well, because he'd paid a price, you oh, see. Oh, and price paid a price. getting the to price have a nice nine he to got five. To, yeah, he got, he got to go do a job <laughs> that he made so much more money at because it's a TV show and he gets residuals. Yeah, that's the thing. He's a great sacrifice, that man. He is a martyr. Gosh, I mean, yeah, because his his um, his career before that, Ed, The Rock, G.I. Jane, Thin Red Line. He's really good in that. Pay It Forward. Mm-hmm. And then Angel Eyes. Do y'all remember Angel Eyes? Mm-hmm. This is a uh, J-Lo movie. Oh. <laughs> and there is a little bit of trivia about that. Out of respect for his wife, Caviezel requested that he wear a shirt and that Jennifer Lopez wear a top during a love scene in the <laughs> film Angel Eyes. handfuls of ass. <laughs> <laughs> and he refused to strip in a love scene with Ashley Judd in High Crimes. He said, I do love scenes, but not ones with gratuitous sex. I also I also don't do gratuitous violence. Well, I don't know about that. And yeah. it's not just about my wife, although that's important. It's sin, pure and simple. <laughs> I mean, it's wrong. It's sin? This it's a, not about my wife? Sin. This is exactly what I... You work in entertainment, sweetie. It's exactly what I want to hear from the single dad I just met on <laughs> Tinder. Who's like, hey, you know doing? he's gonna be on the street. It's not narrow. about your wife. <laughs> so funny. I'm listening. It's never been about her. Whoa, gracious! Can I'm- you imagine him and Mel Gibson at dinner? The conversation. Hooray! Hooray! Yeah, I wonder. Do they text? Do they still chat? Do they have each other's back now? Why hasn't the sequel happened yet? The sequel's going to be so good. I'm there day one for that sequel. Mm-hmm. If it's about Jesus in hell fighting the Who's Satan, funding that, you know? No one. Wow. No one funded this. Mel Gibson was like, I'm just going to yeah, dump my did. money into this. He did self-funded. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. He could do it again. Does he have the funds to do it? I mean, yeah, he made like a bunch off of this. Probably. Yeah. Wow. That's so much money. Yeah. I, How much did the lawsuits drain out of him? Not, not enough? I don't know, but- okay. 
thirty million investment on a six hundred twelve million return. That's pretty good. Good. That's, I feel like if he makes Passion Two, then Spielberg has to make ET Two. I think that somehow <laughs> those two things are linked in That's my how brain. the universe works. Yeah, finally. Yeah, because uh-huh. yeah, they've been talking about it basically since twenty sixteen when he was doing his little press tour for uh, not Black Hawk Down. What's Hacksaw it called? Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge. No. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like the same thing yeah. when you say it? Okay. Like as good as it gets, and something's got to give. Like those are the same words, right? Anything goes. Black Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> anything goes. Anything else. Black Hawk. Down Hacksaw Ridge. So they've been talking about since then on the press tour. He would say that he was working on the screenplay. It's a big project. And he did talk about it's going to basically completely take place in hell. And it's got flashbacks of the fall of angels at the beginning of time. It I sounds need a to little see this. bananas. <laughs> I have to see oh, like, this. Wait, is this sounds good? so good. This is all I want to see. What do you think hell is? In, in I want to see it on my first date with Jim Caviezel. Yeah. I really do. <laughs> Gosh. You might uh, get to go to the premiere with him. Yeah. That would be, be amazing. Really nice. That'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be sweet. So they've, they've been talking about it for years and years. But other things about this movie that are kind of striking, like technically it is like a, a, like we said before, a beautifully shot thing. The casting of it is a little interesting as far as like the aesthetics goes of how people are depicted and portrayed. And there must be, I would imagine, some strain of anti-Semitism that animated a lot of the decisions for these are the, you know, these antagonists are like super, you know, uh, let's make them ugly looking and let's make Jesus and his disciples a a particular way Mm -hmm. in a way that reads just worse and worse with each year with distance from this movie. So many of the reviews of this, including mine, were like, well, you know, I don't think the movie's anti-Semitic. It just hates these Jews. And like, you know, (laughs) and it's, I think that one of the things you sort of have to grapple with when you watch a movie like this is how much of the foundation of Christianity is also the foundation of anti-Semitism and like the ways in which those of us who are raised as Christians or are continue to be practicing Christians, like need to find ways to divorce those two things. Um, I'm an Episcopal and the Episcopalian church has been like, absolutely like has tried to find ways to make, to take stuff out of the Easter story that like creates that has historically created that culture of anti-Semitism and yet you can never entirely do it just because somebody got to the Bible at some point and was like, well, here's what happened. It wasn't the Romans. We want this to be like politically fe- feasible. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's like a thing I struggle with more and more as I think about, you know, if I'm in the church or not, is this question of like, well, I mean, yes, Christianity has been behind a lot of terrible things, but like foundational to Christianity is this thing that has like, destroyed the world and is at the center of like every conspiracy theory. And like, what do you do with that? You know? Well, you just go to the good churches instead. <laughs> I don't know. No, they're yeah. really good. <laughs> yeah, even the, even the good churches are like, well, we're really troubled by this and we're going to try to figure out a way to minimize it. Um, but apparently, I mean, we also can't let Mel Gibson off the hook because apparently the Catholic church was like, here's how you can depict this in ways that won't enhance anti-Semitism in like the 70s or something. And Mel Gibson like broke every single one of those Wait, rules. there's so actual guidelines There's like from guidelines the church? that are like, if you're going to do a dramatic depiction of a passion play, of a passion play here's ways to present the Jews in this story without making them anti-Semitic stereotypes. And apparently Mel Gibson like broke all of those. So, you know, we're wow. not going to let him off the hook here. No. 
Wow. Well, and obviously, like, his feelings were made known regardless. So it's like, it's not a leap to read into the portrayal of those people in this movie. And uh, it's funny, too, because, like, when I saw this movie or when I heard people maybe later talk about that issue, I was confused because I had been raised with, like, but that is what happened. You know, it yeah. was just like, but the mm-hmm. Jews did kill Jesus. You know, like yeah. that was, literally didn't occur to me that that was ever problematic or like not yeah. an actual like nuanced telling of his story, you I, know? And so yeah. I'm sure many Christians went and saw that and was like, yep, nothing like, I don't so I don't see any like anti-Semitism here. It's just the facts, you know? I adore Jesus Christ Superstar. And I was on the podcast Musical Splaining to talk about it. And a, a friend of mine, when I they uh, he shared it, and he was like, "This is a really good episode, but I don't think they get enough into how anti-Semitic this musical is." And I was like, "It's not anti-Semitic; it's just telling the Bible." Oh, uh, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, that's one of those things. Like uh, Caroline and I have talked about, how we have to remind ourselves that the Earth is millions or billions of years old. Every day, like, every day, I'm like, "Oh yeah, six thousand. I mean, million years old." <laughs> Do you have like a memento tattoo that's like, don't forget. <laughs> don't forget. I should. And don't I feel forget. like this even, rock is really even old. you saying, even you saying Jesus Christ Superstar is anti-Semitic. I'm like, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of those things. But I mean, the other part of it, too, um, as far as this movie goes, is the sort of legacy that it leaves behind of. Okay, yeah, the swords and sandals stuff. Yeah. Maybe we can profit off of that. Maybe we can do it with a long enough tale that we were doing Ben Hur in 2015 mm-hmm. or whatever. Exodus. Remember that? Ex- Wait, what is Exodus? Wasn't that one with Christian Bale where yeah. he was like. Exodus, Gods and Kings. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That's the one where Ridley Scott famously said, So I cast these white guys because Muhammad al Muhammad couldn't make a profit. And then the movie bombed. Uh, Oop. <laughs> He's like Daisy. racist as hell. Good old bronzer fix didn't work this time. And I do think that this was like Gladiator was a huge hit. So mm-hmm. people were in this space. They were like, well, we can make this work. And like Noah did pretty well. It wasn't big, but like it, I think it made back its budget. But like it is it is this space where at a certain point, um, too much of American Christian culture stopped being about trying to engage with the world at large and started being about, I want to be flattered. I want to be told that I'm great the way I am. Mm -hmm. And this movie did that and all these other Bible movies didn't. And I think that that is uh, a big part of why, you know, those movies just didn't take off as like that Christians were going to this movie because it like sort of flattered them in terms of, look at this, look at what your Lord endured for you. Look at how great that was. Now you're great too. Good work. You did it. You Mm -hmm. sat through the movie. What an endurance test. Let's all go get Cracker Barrel. And it was Cracker Barrel. <laughs> You're right. It was either Cracker Barrel or Applebee's. Applebee's. Macklebee's. Come on now. Macklebee's. <laughs> Mackle- the Macklebee's. The what if Applebee's what if Applebee's rebranded as Macklebee's? It's just for like, time. Like when <laughs> like when uh, I hopped in uh, the burger <laughs> thing. Yeah. It like, could work, honestly. So if I were to and maybe we can go around the horn if we have takes on it. If I were to, you know, perhaps take this story and do my own version of it in a filmic sense. Maybe what I would do is make it more of a Reservoir Dogs situation. <laughs> so in the film Reservoir Dogs, that's Quentin Tarantino's first movie. It's about a bank heist that goes wrong. In the movie, you never see the bank heist. You just see all the effects, aftermath, before, beforehand, and planning of it. In the same way, what would a, a movie about the death and resurrection of Christ look like 
if that was all sort of like off screened and you're only looking at the humanity of the people around you, yeah. you're following Mary Magdalene, you're following Mother Mary, you're following all the disciples and, and everything that they're doing. You're following the little demon kids home. You're following the weird baby. What's their story? What, what, what's going on with There's that? a great movie about the disciples sitting in the upper room waiting for, you know, they're like, well, Jesus really? just died. No, there's oh, not. Oh, I I'm thought saying, you said. I'm saying, uh, Kevin, you I, should make that. That is okay. a good movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's like, like, and it's just like one set, you know, yeah. it's just like, we are here. We're pretty sure we're all going to die. And then Jesus shows up and they're like, you're not Jesus. You are a Roman prankster. <laughs> trying to get us to turn ourselves in. That's just called waiting for good. <laughs> Is that almost a joke? That, actually, yeah. It's, it was just the delivery. Oh <laughs> waiting for good. Good. My my version of this movie is, uh, one thing I love about Jesus Christ Superstar is it makes it really clear that what happened that led to the crucifixion of Christ was a really messy friend breakup between Judas and Jesus. And like, it Shama. just got out of hand. That's right. And... I want to see the like mumblecore version of this. That's just like, like the disciples like having a fight and it gets kind of bad. And like, then, you know, Jesus is crucified, but it's like directed by like an Andrew Jarecki or like, uh, or like, uh, even like Greta Gerwig and like her sort of earlier stuff or Mm -hmm. like Noah Baumbach, just like, yeah, it's just really stripped down, Mm -hmm. down to earth. And it takes place in like a Bushwick apartment. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. A mumbly sort of Baumbach core. Yeah. Film. Okay, Caroline, what 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 would be your take? I mean, the answer is so obvious to me. Wow. This is going to be a modern movie set in the modern era. It's about cancel culture. It's about <laughs> being crucified for my tweets and mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. Um, that's actually really sad and terrible. And like, don't kill the messenger. <laughs> so, and it's like a, a mo- like a crosscut of like nails in your hands, but your verification getting <laughs> taken away at the same time. No, the curtain being ripped That's in right. my apartment. I will star as the King Herod figure, and I'll just like wow. get really like dolled up and be like, "Oh, you've said some bad tweets." <laughs> so it'd be Whoa. you just like re quote tweeting me and yeah. be like, "This is a threat, <laughs> and why this is a bad take." Yeah, yeah, and then I I and I get killed. I like how your Jesus movie is about you. It is also about me. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, well, I think that in the, you know, in the tradition of Mel, like I have a personal ax to grind. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's so many directions we could go, but anything else we want to say about this before we kind of rate it and give it our ranking? I mean, I, I do like love the weird homoerotic overtones of so much of this movie. Like the Jesus story, the, the passion story rather is pretty homoerotic. There's there's, there's kissing. Yeah. There's a bunch of buff dudes just whipping each other. Like, and, uh, but yeah, it is, you know, they really play up like the feyness of Herod. They play up the androgyny of, of Satan. It's all Mm -hmm. very like, it's very gay and I like it. Yeah. And the disciple stuff doesn't feel, at least in watching the movie, it didn't feel homophobic in nature. Oh. It felt pretty just on its face. It felt Faithful. like Gibson being like, yeah, you know, bros just kiss. It's just a thing we do sometimes. You know, well, like, isn't that the idea of like patriarchy is like men don't love women. They love other men. Yeah. You know, like that's who they respect and like they care about, you know? So yeah. it's like a disciple relationship is actually like the perfect encapsulation of that. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm, I need to go out and kiss some guys I love tonight. That's right. Yes, you need to be supporting the patriarchy a little. Yeah, bit more, that's Ken, how you please. know you're. That's how you know you're comfortable. With your <laughs> yeah. No, I want to g- greet him with a holy kiss, 
to then come with me and go out and dismantle the patriarchy, okay? Well, right? Yeah. A little trophy, there maybe, perhaps, ladies. Always. Okay, well, we all know how this part works, uh, but we're going to say it for the third time for your third appearance, Emily. We're going to give it a holy toast, a holy roast, or maybe something else. Holy toast is a thumbs up. That's when we send it all the way to heaven. Where Jesus will go at the end of the sequel, The Resurrection. Um, and Holy Roast is where we send it all the way down. With a scary Shanae O'Connor Satan is screaming, <laughs> absolutely howling. Or if we're not sure, one or the other will go to uh, maybe one of Mel's favorite places. The space <laughs> it's purgatory. He's really crossing his finger. He makes it in there. Caroline, we're going to start with you. Um, I, sorry, I just cracked up. What? I was looking at the awards it was nominated for because it was nominated for Oscars for Cinematography, Makeup Original Score. It was also nominated for Best Male Performance by Jim Caviezel at the MTV Movie Awards. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that clips package. You know how like the MTV, yeah. yes. Jim Caviezel, Jim Caviezel, and it's like, best kiss, Jesus, oh Jesus. <laughs> And Spider-Man. And, yeah. You know how people dress up for the MTV Awards? Yeah, you know, right. Jim Caviezel is like in a harness, you know, <laughs> just in the spirit of the event. Um, uh, this is going to be a roast for me. And it's a roast for me now and a roast for my younger self, you know, that this wow. movie does not have power over me anymore. Uh, it doesn't scare me like it used to. And I think it's actually... Uh, not that good. And also, fuck Mel Gibson forever. So uh, I'm glad this movie sucks in retrospect. Did, did you just send your younger that. self to hell? Uh, yeah, but oh. she, it's like, she, that's a good How does that work in Back to the Future? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you say fuck Mel Gibson forever. Okay, someone clearly hasn't seen The Beaver. Cause <laughs> the Beaver? You, yeah, The Beaver is a, I want to say Jodie Foster directed Jody Foster, movie yeah. starring him about like he and has a, a young little, Jennifer Lawrence, like young Jennifer Lawrence as well. All the greats uh, hanging out. He's got a little beaver puppet on his hand yep. oh, and he has like a relationship with that beaver. Wow. So, so much. I never need to just second service. <laughs> second service. Sorry, right. We'll cover it soon. We turn it to Emily. I'm going to read you my, my favorite paragraph we go. from my 2004 review. Somewhere in the middle of this film's second hour, I realized I had gone from seeing a merely pedestrian film, Gibson overuses slow-mo more than any other modern director, to one that contained no deeper truths about God's wishes for mankind. Gibson has claimed that this film was directed by the Holy Spirit while he stepped back and directed Traffic. You can imagine how disappointed <laughs> I was to find out this film was merely directed by the director of Braveheart. Boy! That's a John Stewart adjusts tie quote. Wow. Directed um, by the Holy Spirit, like you get the DVD and the Holy yeah. Spirit's like, so what I was trying <laughs> to do in this scene. This is actually um, a funny moment yeah. uh, behind the scenes. I actually tripped we on some wiring. Up off yeah. screen. <laughs> I was expecting to come in here and be like, I think this is, you know, better than I remembered it being. Because I have some friends who are like, this movie is bug nuts, but it is a very clear personal vision. Um, and there are moments in this movie that are transcendent when Christ is getting his hands nailed to the cross and it's cross-cutting between a bunch of stuff. Like, that's genuinely cinematically moving. But also, this movie is just a lot of bullshit throughout. Mm -hmm. So I'm giving it a toast. Bye. Whoa. You're gone. Roast. Oh, roast. roast. Yeah. Okay. God damn it. I, like, I, for, I think positive. I've forgotten that every yeah. time. <laughs> that's fine. It <laughs> is confusing. I have the to, tradition. Like, check myself, too. Yeah. yeah. So, downhill. Um, listen, I get it. 
I I see both sides here. I, I as a man of the people, I can't help but like man understand. Of the hey, shut up! Hey, I got my Springsteen hurdle in only two seconds today. I'm a man of the people. And how much was that ticket? Uh, a man of the people $400 price. Four hundred plus. <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't gotten tickets yet. I hope you do. I hope I do too. It's gambling. We can't talk Russell. about it right now. I know. It's so we can't sad. Get into it. It's actually heartbreaking. It's breaking your heart. Um, but listen, this movie is punishing and it's punishment. And it feels like an extension of what it felt like when your parents wanted to go see a movie as a family together, which was a punishment. Yes. There was this movie, and I remember the last movie we all saw together, I think it was Castaway as well before uh. this movie. Cause that was like similar vibe, you know. Is that funny? Yeah. Just like a skinny guy <laughs> enduring some bad stuff. Like famous man, yeah. <laughs> so it it bums me out that there's not a more popular, empathetic idea of whatever the Christ figure is to whoever the audience is. This is the most popular one, and it's just it's a it's a nothing. It's like a hollow vessel containing nothing but sound and fury. And it's sad to me that the opportunity is lost to not get to what Caroline was highlighting before, the humanity, the compassion, the kind of core message of, of care in, in, in speaking to the downtrodden. But instead we got, yes, like an explosion. And then it's so funny to think about in terms of like the way Tom Cruise promotes his movies now where it's like, here's how I killed myself for this one. And Caviezel's doing that, but giving it like a supernatural bent. He's like a less professional Tom Cruise. Where it's like, hey, they're they're probably within the same ballpark of delighted belief. Delighted to hear Red this. Red State Tom Cruise. That's even better. Red Whoa. State Tom Cruise, right? Yeah. Just dying for our sins. So it's a bummer. Uh, I agree with you, Emily, that there are parts of it. They're like, oh, this is kind of moving. I remember even the visual of the the finger in the sand, and we don't know what he draws, and I assume it's a big dick. In cool. the sand. And then with boobs. Yeah, a big dick with boobs <laughs> on it. He writes uh, 80085, and you're like, what's that? And then he's like, he's like boobs. <laughs> They're like, oh, dang. <laughs> Holy roast for me. Holy wow. roast to Mel Gibson. Uh, <laughs> I hope we never see you again, unfortunately. Yeah, knock on wood. Good grief. Do you, If you see a Mel Gibson movie, do you turn it off? Like if you walk by or how would I be walking by a Mel Gibson movie? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not in... like hanging out at Radio Shack. Yeah, I guess I didn't set up the right sort <laughs> Why of. Why would that just pop on my TV? If I don't want a raw in... TV anymore. If you were in a Target and Lethal Weapon is playing, do you throw all the TVs <laughs> on <laughs> the ground? I do. <laughs> I cause a bit, and the arrest is worth it because I'm standing by. You know. Ah, uh, you know, it's just the age old question, and this is what Caroline's cancel culture movie is going to get into. It's <laughs> exactly. like hard hitting truths like that. Right. Uh, right. Being wh- brave. What? What a great. Screen Screenplay that's going to end up being. Um, all right, now we're bringing it down to a more worshipful space, a holier space. And Emily, on this show, as you know, because you've done it a couple times before, we're not here to promote ourselves or to plug our prop. Wow, it's a little mush mouth today. Plug your props. Emma, we're not here to promote ourselves or plug our projects. We're here to lift them up to the Lord. It's still <laughs> a little bit of a struggle for me. Wow. Do you think this is Mel Gibson cursing me from a distance somehow? <laughs> Satan is here in the room tonight. And then maybe lift up something we're enjoying in secular culture, the last great thing we watched, that we saw, that we listened to or read. And we'll start, as per usual, with Caroline. Um, You can lift me up at Caroline's Farts, and I'm going to lift up a throwback that I just revisited. I can't even tell you why, but it was the Fleet Foxes album, Helplessness Blues. Just a beautiful 
beautiful album. If you are looking for a little nostalgia and something lovely and makes you feel like you're, I don't know, prancing through like a medieval forest, I encourage you to revisit and go check it out. Yeah, baby. Great feeling. The Fleet Foxes. Did you like that last album they put out last year? Sure. Did you ever listen to I've that? only just started listening. I had n- I like stopped following them. Way I think a long it's time good. Ago. My- also discovered that the, the lead singer, very hot. Surprise, yeah. Surprise. Doesn't, he, doesn't he's hurt. So hot. Can- no. <laughs> <laughs> Could he describe being struck by lightning in a way that would get <laughs> in a way you that weirdly I would turned still on? Him yeah. To the end of the earth? <laughs> no, he wouldn't. <laughs> uh, gracious. Thank you, Caroline. We turn it now to Emily. Hi, everyone. My name is Emily St. James. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash emilyvdw. My writing is at Vox. Uh, I have a podcast called Arden. Our third season will be out next year. It's about two women who solve uh, cold cases and try not to fall in love at the same time. Um, I am very into the Laura Marling 2020 album Song for Our Daughter, um, which is, I have, I had just randomly came across it. Laura Marling is one of those people who just never worked for me, just never clicked for me. And I heard this album just randomly on Spotify and I was like, oh, this is good. I really like this. And I got super into it. And here's the, here's, here's the news I had to bring. My wife and I are having a child. This is the first place I've talked about it Wait, publicly. Wait, is that real? Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! Congrats! So I'm oh listening to this goodness. song that's Laura Marling addressing an unknown child, and I'm just being like, "This is this is good. I'm gonna be a mom, oh my and I'm gosh. gonna love my baby." And I said to my wife on my way out the door, "Can I talk about us having a baby on Good Christian Fun?" She said, "It's a Passion of the Christ episode, right?" And I said, "Yes." And she said, <laughs> "Sure, if you could figure out a way to do it." So a cherry I think on it's top. The perfect. The yeah, it's Sunday. a way to come on the the other side. Oh, that's so exciting. Congratulations. Wow. Oh, congrats. That, wow. I had to complete the trilogy. Dude, that exclusive you was heard not it here kidding. First, wow, you y'all. heard it here first. And little Caroline Kevin St. James will be the most beautiful <laughs> child to ever enter into this existence. world. We don't, you know, we don't know, girl boy. We're just, you know, obviously we don't know because gender's imaginary. But like whatever comes out, it's gonna be Kevin or it's gonna be Caroline, then the the middle name's gonna be the other. Hell you yeah. have my word here. Oh, well, what an honor. They'll be getting Christmas money from me forever if that's the case. So just keep that in mind. <gasps> Gracious. This this is a delight. Sincerely, congrats, Emily. Truly. And congrats to Libby. Gracious. Wow. Um, you can lift me up at Kevin T. Porter on Be Real. And that's it, baby. Period. Period. Or, or letterbox. You know, the thing I was thinking about while we were having this conversation was the HBO series, The Rehearsal, Hmm. the new Nathan Fielder show. Because the last episode had so much to do with specifically what we were talking about. Anti-Semitism as it pertains to evangelical Christianity. There's such a uh, harsh and stark dichotomy of it in the show. It's a show in which Nathan creates an experience for someone to go through to rehearse how they would actually behave whenever the real-life experience comes. So he creates... A situation in which a woman is raising a child, he ends up raising it with her, and then they disagree about whether to raise it Jewish or Christian. Oh my God. And they have to get like Jewish teach rabbis involved, and, and she's very evangelical, and she seems to be very anti Semitic on, you know, just like straight up. Oh my God. And it's a very interesting, sort of uncomfortable interrogation of it, and the show's really good. So I'd recommend people watch that Great if they show. want. Want more of that? You can lift us up at Christian Fun Pod everywhere. You can go to patreon.com slash goodchristianfun for more of this stuff. And you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And every review that you leave, we donate a dollar to charity. Emily, 
the trilogy is complete. I gotta say, I think we gotta do a legacy sequel. I think we gotta I think do. So. I think it's gotta be yes. left behind Nicolas Cage, Silence, the Martin Scorsese we'll movie. We'll break that That's into right. two episodes. And then I hope. And then a prequel. I hope that Mel Gibson <laughs> makes Passion Two because that's gotta happen. We're Come manifesting it now by planning these episodes. Oh, what a night! Like I don't know. What's the bad version that's of the manifesting? Best man- <laughs> that's cursing the only time humanity. I've yeah, it's bringing passion to Christ too. The Gracious. Part. So you'll come back for one or the other or yeah. all of the above. That's yeah. right. I hope so. How yeah. fun! And there's nothing left to say except for okay. okay I love, love you. you. Thank, Thank you, you, Emma. Emma. Amen. Amen. And uh, you know what? There's. I don't want to play this stupid soundtrack from this movie. Let's go out with the title track from Helplessness Blues by the Fleet Foxes. Wow. So you can listen to that and uh, never watch Passion of the Christ. You can all don't you, do it. Skip all, it. All, all you need Trust to do me. is listen to this nice conversation <laughs> and think about Emily's future child, who also will never watch I Passion of the Christ. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. I was somehow unique. Like a snowflake Distinct among snowflakes Unique in each way you can see And now after something That was a HeadGum Podcast <laughs>